Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. Hello, and I am two of your hosts. Second of the hosts, I should say, is how the proper thing. My name is Caleb. Caleb Shire. Oh, my God. Caleb, when you said you were two of the hosts, I was so jealous because I was like, why did I say I was only one of the hosts? God damn it. I'm so stupid. Caleb is uh, twice as have... better than me. Yeah, <laughs> I do have multiple personality disorder, which I shouldn't joke about because that's a real thing. And I actually don't have it. You know, I think there's some debate in the psychological community about how real that actually is. And maybe it's a kind of a misdiagnosis or a, you know, a, cl- a clinical overzealousness. Yeah. Um, As a person course, who fakes 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 having it, it is I do fake. It, it's easy to fake. <laughs> well, that's I think the thing. It's easy to fake. Um, but you know, not. To, <laughs> I'm, I don't know anything about mental health, and it's a very serious issue. Um, every episode on actually best choice movies, we talk to you about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new, and they fit together like a film and a filmmaker. Would uh, would you say, Caleb? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that tightly, as uh, those two words have very much letters in common. <laughs> uh, but yeah, mostly uh, the same word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, one exists without the other, a chicken egg. Um, but yeah, it's very, very true. We do two movies. Uh, this week, we're talking about movies where the characters are in the process of making a movie, uh, which is like a, a, a meta level of film in general. And uh, we've pro- I, know, I know we've talked about it several times on the podcast because I just uh, always gravitate towards films like that. But it's uh, very cool things. I'll say the name of the movies now. Uh, Bergman Island uh, came out last year from uh, Mia Hansen-Louv. Uh, and Day for Night. Uh, we're doing a Truffaut film. It's exciting. Uh, from Fuck yeah. We're doing a yeah. Truffaut movie. <laughs> Fresh new wave. Hitting it hard. Yeah, I was talking over you, but you were saying from 1973. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Was that all there was to it? I didn't mean to prompt you. And then that was, I said the thing you were trying to say, and it was like, oh, yeah. Worse than just, like... <laughs> uh, well, we'll fix it editing, but uh, there is more to say, but we'll get to it. Uh, and that's all this week on actually best choice movies. Movies. Yeah, before we get to any of that, we just very quickly, so these are both movies about people making movies and in some way the movie that they're making is commenting on you know the rest of the movie they're quote-unquote real lives of these you know made up people and this is uh pretty common in film right yeah 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 and uh i would say specifically bergman islands about screenplay writing and uh uh day day for night is the whole process of uh film they're on set they're making a movie and yeah, I, I do like movies about movies. I uh, I watched one of my favorite movies is from the '90s, is Living in Oblivion from Tom DeSillo with a uh, Steve Buscemi's uh, indie director. It's if you've never seen it, it's a very silly, funny movie. Young Peter Dinklage is in it. Uh, but even on our podcast, we've uh, touched on these movies. We had an episode where we did uh, Almodovar's uh, autobiographical esque film Pain and Glory, and uh, we paired that with The Player, which is Altman's Hollywood takedown, very meta about a producer's what a producer really does. Uh, which is cool, yeah. and there's but there's there's thousands of examples of uh, filmmakers and film jobs on film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's eight and a half, of course, famously, and then there's like kind of this really bad copy of eight and a half 
that that I personally used to really love when I was in college. Uh, CQ. Does everyone does everyone remember CQ? CQ. I don't know CQ. Do you not know this film? It's uh, directed by Roman Coppola, and it stars um, Jason Schwartzman. I mean, it's from oh, 2001. Damn. You know, does it? So, yeah, uh, well, he's in it. He's in it. He's not the star, but um, yeah. I mean, it's more like a kind of a French New Wave slash Italian uh, science fiction. It's like Alphaville. Roman Coppola uh, was yeah. tired of making music videos and tried to do a movie, uh, and yeah, it exactly. didn't really take off for him. But good, good for him for putting it out there. Uh, anyway, but yeah. I, I, uh, I would say uh, we've talked about how much I love Charlie Kaufman, and I would say he is a purveyor of, especially this meta version of filmmaking. I mean, adaptation is just another movie about screenwriting is absolutely insane about getting into the weeds of how your mind works when you're writing a script. And Synecdoche, New York, is that uh, to like a drastically different level of it uh, as well. But yeah, uh, I even st- like stuff. Singing in the Rain is kind of about filmmaking and. Uh, I th- me and Chris always it's just we're talking about Pee Wee's Big Adventure that has a movie in it <laughs> that gets made off of Pee Wee's life. <laughs> and it does like you know it's commenting on the action of the film and you get to see a, your character grow through the experience of watching the movie and <laughs> the movie within the movie. So yeah, it, it's it's silly but it mm-hmm. fucking counts, dude. It counts a hundred percent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Mulholland Drive, which. Uh, uh, I got another movie I rewatched kind of recently, just in my friend, fresh in my mind of like how awesome that is. And it's like another, like just super meta textual about uh, like, well, is this even a film now? And I think both of the films we discuss, well, I think especially Cecil in the first, first case. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, Barton Fink, he's a screenwriter. And then sticking with the Coen brothers, uh, they did uh, Hail Caesar, which is about old yeah, Hollywood so studios and movies, stuff. Right. Right, right, right. But this, this, I would say, uh, we're getting a little bit further away yeah. from the core of what these two movies are. And really, really, Bergman Island is more like it than uh, Night Day for Night. But it's like movies where the characters are making a movie and you're learning something about them from the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, They're putting themselves into the movie they're making and we could see right. them in the creative process, which is very interesting to, yes. do, to see. Um, and of course there's movies about directors and we get to see that, but I feel like, uh, with Bergman Island, it's a case of, uh, fiction writing, uh, that really just feels super personal. And, uh, and I would say that's for, true for day for night too, too, where, uh, Truffaut is just making a movie about how much he loves, uh, making movies and movies in general too, which is kind of fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, <laughs> should, should we just jump into it? Do you want to just jump into it? Yeah, I will say Bowfinger's underrated. Uh, that's all, and we could jump into it. <laughs> I feel it. like there's a kind of Bowfinger resurgence that's going on. I feel like people bring it up on Twitter a lot. That's great. Um, I'm all here for it. It's an uh, underrated Steve Martin movie. It was when Eddie Murphy was kind of flopping through a little bit, but that, like out of all those movies, like Bowfinger is pretty. I have pretty never, I have never <laughs> seen it, and to, for the record, I think it looks terrible. But I do think people like it. I, I think people like it, and I haven't seen it, so you know, what do I know? Uh, directed by uh, the fucking man, Frank Oz. Uh, Frank Oz, who you know as uh, Yoda. Um, but yeah, Frank Oz, maybe he's not the greatest director, but he's just one of the greatest people in general. He's also uh, made Jim Henson's career fuck off with that, oh, no. I'll say. Frank Oz, Frank Oz has made some fantastic movies, right? I, I mean, I can't uh, remember he, any of them right now, but I know he's I mean, directed. He did uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Dirty uh, Rotten he did Scoundrels, Little, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, he did. He did. Yeah. What I believe he directed. What about Bob? Which is one of uh, a great movie I that think I you're right. I think he did do for Bob. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, you just know Frank Oz. He's just that cool of a person. <laughs> Filmmaking credits. Okay. And he did right. Bowfinger, and I br- brought up Bowfinger. Yeah, Bowfinger. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he hasn't directed a movie in a while. Huh. Yeah. He also did, like, I'm trying to think of it. He does bad stuff, too. Um, uh, Stepford Wives remake from like the early 2000s. He last year uh, directed sh- the uh, documentary about that guy that had that magic show in, on Broadway that everybody loved. Oh, I don't like, know you, that. <laughs> you remember this? Uh, I, I think I think some of our friends went to this. It was called In and of Itself. And it was, a, it was this whole uh, like very twee and sincere thing where he wrote like a word on a card and the word like described you or, or you wrote the word or something. And it was like this big emotional magic show. Anyway, he directed the like the, you can watch he it. Directed on a show of it. Oh, yeah, it's just cool. like a record. Um, it's like a concert film of a magic show. <laughs> uh, it's cool that we're talking <laughs> about how, how how varied of a career Frank Oz has had. But yeah, uh, I haven't heard from him. It's funny because we were ab- we were we were about to move on to the rest of the show, and then we got like <laughs> the ultimate sidetrack. <laughs> of, so I brought sidetrack. up Frank. I brought up Frank Oz. Hey, that we're we're being meta about our show because we just talk about people we like, which is true. He uh, also- Muppets. Master of Frank Oz. Can I say he directed the film adaptation of the the Indian in the cupboard, which was a book I used to really like as a little wow. kid. Wow, that was him too. Wow. Yeah, that movie sucked, and I hated it. As a kid who loved the Indian in the cupboard, it was like yeah, left I out read that book too. Stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was such a such a haircut that kid had the nineties haircut. He had oh, the nineties so haircut. 90s, right? So nineties. So nineties. So now, now should we move on and do the rest of the show? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. The first movie this week is 2022 or 2021? 2021's Bergman Island. Do you think you can't create a great body of work and raise a family at the same time? At the age of 42, Bergman had directed 25 films. How do you think he would have done that if he was also changing diapers? How's your thing going? Pretty good, actually. Welcome to the island of Faro, home of two beaches, beautiful scenery, and the floating specter of Ingmar Bergman. Uh, director Mia hansen Love makes a semi-autobiographical movie about a filmmaker played by Vicky Cripps visiting the island with her more famous director partner played by Tim Roth. Uh, they're here for Bergman week and also to snap her out of her writer's block. And about an hour into the film, the film relays us of her in-progress story that she's writing by fully recreating the story with her own invented alter ego, and that's played by Mia Wasikowska. It's a very poignant decision bringing together the theme of how an artist can use work to deal with their own lives, commenting on their own circumstances, or creating a fiction in hopes of confronting a situation. And that is all under the specter of truth and art that is Ingmar Bergman, which adds layers of how we are influenced and how we are inspired and also how we just like Ingmar Bergman films. Bergman Island premiered at Cannes last year and it hit our Hulu streaming services just this past week. Chris, am I saying Faro correctly? As, as Faro as I know, Caleb, you <laughs> certainly are. That's yeah, dumb. Faro. Um, it was actually kind of, this part was kind of confusing to me because one of the, you know, I used to go to Europe all the time and one of my like fantasy places I really wanted to go was the Faroe Islands which are not, this is not where they are. This is an island that is called Faroe that is in Sweden. The Faroe <laughs> Islands are, you, you know the Faroe Islands, Caleb? Yes, that's why I thought and they were pronounced fast. I'm saying Faroe. It also has like the weird uh, O, it has, like, it has that O, which is also the Lov, uh, O and Mina Hansen Lov, like that German yeah, it has, O. It has, it has an umlaut, an umlaut over so, the O. Yeah, over exactly. the, yeah. 
Um, Faro, yeah, Sweden, yeah. Swedish, you know, it's, uh, it's such a, I don't know. You know and it's the exact island yeah, where uh, Bergman filmed uh, Persona and uh, all, except for all of his other movies. And scenes from a marriage discussed on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, scenes from true. a marriage. And it actually plays a big part of the movie where they're like, um, this is the scenes from a marriage, the movie that made millions of people divorce. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember that from doing research for the podcast. <laughs> That's actually true. Um, yeah. yeah, what did I think about this movie? I mean, well, can I say just at a very surface kind of facile level, um, one of the th- things I think I've made very obvious on this show is the extent to which I'm like a complete sucker for this kind of like European drama film aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. It was a really good example of, of that genre, I think. And, you know, there's just a lot of like people on landscapes and like looking pensive and it's very, looks very windy, but very beautiful at the same time. People like lost on a bicycle. Um, It had that kind of, and kind of a lot of muted colors and a lot of, you know, important body language at a rocky beach, you know, like that kind of a thing. Sure, sure, sure. This kind of European film, I, I do really love. I thought it was beautifully photographed. I don't know who the, um, cinematographer was. was who lensed it i don't know who lensed it but um uh his name was denis lenoir denis lenoir well fantastic work by denis um <laughs> yeah i mean so but what else more deeper than that well i mean one thing to say right at the top is you know mia wasikowska is certainly like the star of the movie but like also the star of the movie is, is vicky kreps or uh she from you know the phantom thread people mostly know her from uh, I just thought she was so good in this movie. Like her and Tim Roth as a couple, first of all, like what an inspired choice. Like they do look like two like older successful creative people, but who are also kind of like weird and boring. Like mm-hmm. it was so great. I loved watching the two of them together. I mean, it, I, I very much felt like I identified with the the particular concerns they had on their little creative yeah, vacations. It's, it's... Like, should we take the tour? Scary should we way, not yeah. the tour, you know? Um, am I going to wait around? Who carries the suitcase up the stairs? And, like, who carries the suitcase down the hallway? And, like, who's, like, being nice enough to who about, yeah. you know, out in the room it, with them? There is, like, a, in the relationship, uh, their characters' name are Chris and Tony. Chris is Vicky's name, and Tim Roth plays Tony. Uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, just, like, small resentments and also a lot of affections to make up for that too and they're like very honest with each other uh but they also know how to hit it like nowhere nowhere to cut each other too which is very very true in relationships um yeah it's very very good and very poignant uh uh mia hansen love uh i'm sad to say i've only seen one of her uh films Uh, i've known her she's been on uh cans juries and other wonderful things but um uh yeah she's been making movies for for Lots of years. Uh, oh, very, very talented wait, wait, young get, woman. I, I agree with you. I mean, I I'm just saying. Love to, I would love to talk about this director, but I feel like you responded to me talking about the like, there was a couple. Well, I was going like, to, I know, I, I was just about to say, uh, to, oh, to, okay. to talk about her for a sec. Um, so this is a lot. So like we said, this movie is very personal. It comes from something. She goes to uh, Bergman Island, uh, Faro Islands uh, herself. She wrote, wrote this movie there herself. And oh my God. Uh, she is married to, was married to uh, 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 a director uh, who was more famous than her. Uh, that was Olivia Assayas, and they do have a child together. They're no longer oh, together. Olivia uh, really? She was, oh no, yeah, yeah, fucking yes. way. Oh, I didn't know this? Yeah, yeah. No. So, like, 
a lot of like so that's who tim roth is in that. the movie he's a he's olivia Isaias. yes yeah 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 and uh we could talk about the uh, tony character a lot he's a very confident swaggy man he's uh casually cruel to her he has an air of the uh things have been easy for him but he does not care that uh, how easy it's been uh i don't know he's just like, like, like a, there's a great they show a, great... a bit of his oh no i just just Go to ahead. talk about what you were talking about like the way that to the way they characterize him it's done so subtly but it's so mm-hmm. effective and devastating like i was telling my wife Catherine, like there's a moment where it's like he's been out all day and she's been at the house and he comes in and she's like oh hi like how's it going and he's like oh hi and she's like oh do you want a cup of tea and he goes, yeah, that'd be great. And he walks out of the room into a different room. <laughs> and like, so she has to just like oh, make yeah. him a cup of tea and then bring him a cup of tea. And like, he doesn't particularly want to talk to her. You know, I was just like, oh, that's mm-hmm. so perfect. That's uh, that's such a perfect little detail. And I thought it was he's just like this so well. just weird. Yeah, this energy of just being like, yeah, I sh- you should be doing this for me, which is like weird. Uh, like there's like a he's a he's there in uh, for Bergman week and he's showing his film, which uh, is like a very thrillery movie oh, wow. and he gets all these compliments and he just brushes those off uh there's a part when uh you get Chris, the sense Vicky that his Krebs, movies are very you get the sense that they're, you, yeah, you, they're like yeah, you're saying about his movies like the movie has this way of making his his movies seem like very popular and respected but also like maybe the people that respect his movies are like kind of dumb and like maybe his actually his movies are kind of dumb but it's yeah, like it doesn't ever yeah. come out and say it exactly yeah just a little bit more broader strokes than what she's doing which is possibly true um uh, but when uh uh chris the character chris uh says uh they talk about bergman a lot i love how much how there were specific fans of bergman anyway well, i'll get to that in a sec but uh, chris was talking about bergman with tony and she says bergman wouldn't be as proficient if he had to change diapers because they learned bergman had all like nine kids from nine different women uh and tony says to that should i feel bad I should feel bad about that, right? And that's just like, come on, dude. You know, saying that you should feel bad, and like, yeah, she's raising your kid, and like, you're not having to do as much. Uh, and that kind of gets pushed to the side, and maybe not till the end it comes brought up again. But there's just so many like things of him wanting to be right. Like, uh, uh, and I'll go back as I'm jumping all over the place to uh, the Bergman of it too, like how they're both specific Bergman fans, which is just good writing. Uh, where uh, Tony is more of like film nerdy about it uh and like they're there's a scene where they're going listing off bourbon movies he's like well, i don't like that one like oh, i just saw that one uh and she's more of just like oh that sounds nice or like oh that is uh i've actually seen that one uh i, was like, I don't want to be too scared uh and then they do go more into detail about their Bergman fandom, which uh, they're both filmmakers, of course. Like it's, it's Ingmar fucking Bergman. He's well, no, yeah, can't be. And- he can't not be influential. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny that scene because it's like so they end up watching. What is it? They end up watching. Uh, uh cries and whispers. I believe cries and whispers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wanted to watch like a nice one. So, yeah, and then she said, and "I that- haven't seen Seven Seal. We could do Seven Seal." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cries and whispers. I don't know. And then they, of course, cut to like somebody screaming and crying in the movie. <laughs> so you get the sense that she, you know, her desires are being overruled yet again. You know, yet yeah. again for the thousandth time. Um. Yeah, and I would say uh, just to keep going with the Bergman stuff, uh, and I'll try to make an overarching point about it. But uh, it did hit a little close to her because they show like a bunch of nerds they go on a, a bergman safari oh which is this very is hilarious like... first of all it's fictional it's yeah it's very fictional that's uh, how uh how much of an amusement park of by Bergman is and that's funny how they treat it as like 
hey, we all love it. We're all celebrating your Mark Bergman here. I mean, that is so funny. I have Bergman Safari been... with trivia nerds. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, things like that exist, of course. It rings very true, right? You know, these weird little tours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't take it, but I know in Salzburg they have a Sound of Music tour that like weird people that are obsessed with Sound of Music go on. Um, oh yeah. But like, it's it's such a great scene because it's like she's run off. She just uh, to go hang out with this guy that she's having this kind of weird semi platonic love affair with a flirty relationship, yeah. And they, um, she just doesn't show up to go on the tour with him, so then he has to go on it by himself. And you see him be kind of like hurt, but just be like, Well, I guess I'll go on the tour. But then everybody else on the tour is like exactly like him, an alone man of like roughly his age or slightly younger, who like is dressed very (laughs) similarly. You know, I remember having that feeling really strongly when I saw uh, Pulp at, uh, or yeah, Pulp at Radio City Music Hall. I was like very excited. I've been a Pulp fan my entire life. And especially at the time, I had this way of dressing that was like, you know, kind of vaguely influenced by Jarvis Cocker. And I was like, oh, you know, I dressed up as I wanted to dress up, but also kind of a little bit looking like a little bit Jarvis Cockery, like more than usual. And I got there and like literally everybody was dressed exactly the same as me. And I just felt, I felt so like not an, an, not an individual. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like everything I thought I had made a a cool choice on was just like, yeah, everybody else does Uh that too. Is everyone's uh, celebrating Cocker in the, that's how they do it by dressing exactly like each other. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess so. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, as we're talking about the relationship between uh, Chris and Tony here, I would say the biggest transgression Tony does, and it's not like uh, huge stuff, but like all like just annoying couple stuff, which what makes this movie great. Um, but the biggest thing he does is uh, the, the plot of the movie. Uh, uh, so she's working on a story and uh, like an hour of the film, she just tells him the story. And that's what stuff with Mia Wasikowski and they recreate it. But as she's telling him the story, he like, takes phone calls and like you don't get the sense that he's like really paying attention and like even it's reflected uh with the two characters it's uh i'm not gonna know that uh, there's two characters who are obviously oh, yeah, filling in uh okay. i know the uh character's name is joseph in the thing what's uh, amy and joseph and it becomes more of a one-sided uh relationship as we're seeing as it's one one person's perspective this fictional story uh it's it's it's, it's very I, I thought very very interesting and uh very very uh, uh like what we're what the whole what we're talking about is like you're putting your life into your art in that sense it's bergman-esque because uh we know all about his all his divorce and stuff and that's uh hard to do like creation is hard <laughs> and you should borrow things from your life to write and to to uh, do your art uh and relaying your emotions requires depth and uh, to plunge that depth is so hard. And uh, we're seeing her tell this story as she's plunging her own like emotional depths as it relates to her husband, as she's telling a story about uh, two, uh, this story is like about two lovers uh, when they were teens who've grown apart and now are coming back together on Bergman Island itself again for a wedding. It's all very meta and fun and, uh the movie doesn't really have a lot of shape uh it like naturally gets to a shape of a film Uh, and there's maybe even a question of like is this even a film i think she's as she's even saying her screenplay to him just a short story in a way just saying it to him like is this a film she even asks is this even a film so it's like really like just like two films crammed together with an ending and it works for me yeah it works works because it feels 
very personal. It's a, a, a just a very like a lighter, less misogynistic Hong Sang So in its approach of experimental filmmaking, uh, but it just feels such a personal movie. And uh, like I said, stuff about Livia Asias, which I don't want to harangue too much about, but it kind of blew me away. And I mean, I agree, Caleb. I thought it was really interesting. And one of the things I thought would, that was so interesting and unusual about this movie is that about, so it's like a two hour movie about 45, 50 minutes into the movie. It just, she starts saying uh, uh, to Tim Roth, like, oh, can I tell you the, the story of this movie I've been working on? And he's like, okay. And then we just cut <laughs> to yeah. Mia Wasikowska and like this other thing. And then just that is the movie for like yeah. the rest of the movie, basically, which it's is like... so unusual, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, But it just works because the themes that you've been watching in the quote unquote real world are then being played with and furthered and 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 you get a sense of, what's happening between the the characters and the other part of the movie through the, the, you know, the play within a play. Right. I mean, it is like classic stuff. It's like Hamlet, right? Like the play is the thing. I mean, every, everything's being revealed in this movie within a movie. And I mean, to the extent, and you know, and it's all about her dissatisfaction and her desire to like mm-hmm. have sex with somebody else. That's exciting to her and people that you've seen her meet in real life show up as the actors in the yeah. movie, which is also very interesting, you know? And then it's like, um, at the very, very end, she's she's sort of stuck, and she says like, "Oh, well, well, what should the ending be like? What should we be talking about?" And Tim Roth goes like, "I'm not really sure. I, I'm the person you should be talking to about this." Yeah. And he she goes, "What are you talking about?" And he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and like walks away. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "Well, that's totally fucking fair play to Tim Roth because he's like completely understood everything that she's saying, and he's like, "Okay, so you don't like me, and you want to have you want to fuck somebody else?" Like, okay, like okay, but I don't really know if I can. I don't think I'm the one that can tell you how the story should end, you know. And then how it does end, it's like crams those like she takes the place of the character. It seems like, but then it gets like too real, and then they both flip back at they are in Ingmar Bergman's actual house, and that guy pops back up again, and it's uh, I don't know, it's an ending, and uh, it just felt. Uh, like a way to end it is just to be even more meta, which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, the film is meta enough in that first hour of just like going through the island and being a couple, like just yeah. knowing who that the, the real life person is in this movie. And then the story kicks in, the Mia Wasikowski story kicks in. And it's just like, whoa, man, a, a funny, it's a weird, crazy, yeah. it's a weird effect, not in like a effects heavy way or like a stonery way. It's just like very good writing that like takes you there and it's like Um, yeah it's like because it's like the um, the um, emotionally you understand you're still watching the same story even though all of a sudden you're watching different characters mm -hmm. you know because it is happening in the same location and it is so funny to know that that the director and writer wrote it while being on bergman island also so it's like Mm -hmm. four layers of meta stacked on top of each Mm -hmm. other it's i mean wait to, to, to talk about the ending though like the way I took the ending, I mean, spoiler alert, is like, so we're watching her on the island, then we're watching her tell the story of her movie, but we're, we're seeing the movie. And then it's like, we cut back to her in the present and she hasn't written the movie and doesn't know what to do. And she falls asleep and wakes up and it's like, they've just finished shooting the movie. Yeah. Like we're just cutting into the future, <laughs> however long, like question mark amount of time. 
you know, and then now she's getting to make the movie. Like I, that, that's kind of how, how I took it. Uh, yeah. But then like, cause before, right before that scene, the ending that she says, Oh, I'm going to, he leaves to go bring their daughter back. And then he just brings their daughter back at the end. So it's just like this weird, like, Oh, what is time? That is true. Yeah. There. Uh, but I know I liked it. Like, like you could question because like, who cares about making sense? You're just making a very artistic movie. Uh, like I've been saying, uh, as we're all influenced by Ingmar Bergman, he did that shit all the time, just like putting fucking weird metaphors or not having time things collide. Uh, yeah, and I think this movie, uh, even as a movie that has Bergman in the title and is in essence somewhat about his life as an artist, I would say, but not a direct homage or overtly homage. Maybe it's an homage in the way it's paying tribute to the sense of the filmmaking he imbued, which is uh realism times these surreal stuff times uh personal subject matter and i think the pace is kind of slower which is bergman there's all echoes of bergman but like a lot of films do that too and a lot of films are influenced by Ingvar bergman but yeah exploring hypothetical situations through writing and imagination that's what Ingmar bergman was doing in his films uh, and that's what and this film that's is what what every film is doing i think yeah, you know yeah uh, and that's what yeah this film is about she's writing a sto- uh, characters writing a story and exploring her own life through her imagination and I her mean, own creativity. I, I just <laughs> thought it was such a well-done depiction of of creativity too because she's both like like fixated on doing it and then also completely blocked and feeling like she could never possibly do the thing that she's trying yeah. to do and she's so angry about it and she's yelling about like how she doesn't know how to write and it makes her so feel so awful and I was like, you know, yeah, that is that is totally what it's like to do writing. Yeah, uh, she's a very confident woman, unsure in her art. It's uh, uh, how I would describe her. Uh, I didn't see Old, which uh, Vicky Cripps was in no, this, also this year, uh, but I like her a lot. I've watched uh, re- just rewatched Phantom Thread. Uh, I mean, she's so good in that movie. It's I amazing like, how good yeah. she is in that movie. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, complete lot- revelation, you know. Holds it up against your motherfucking Daniel Day-Lewis. Very hard thing to do. I haven't seen a lot of her movies. I would recommend uh, The Last of Her Mirror, which came out a couple years ago. Hopefully she's getting, I mean, she's a European actress too. So, and I mean, I think this is a very, very uh, calling card movie that people will be like, oh, I saw her that she's very good. Uh, but yeah, she has this weird, like gangly limb energy. Uh, she's very, very tall. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's extremely tall. Um, which I identify with. <laughs> yeah, and having gangly limb energy, like, yes, I, I definitely identify with that 100%. I've been talking about it a lot with my new uh, ceramics instructor, you know, <laughs> we're talking about, like, my posture and the way I'm attacking the wheel. So he's always going, like, you're a tall guy. <laughs> like, okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, she's so good. I mean, the way she, the, the quality that she has in um, Phantom Thread is she's very different in this movie, but in, there are certain commonalities, you know. She has this kind of, like, serious impishness which i just find so you know compelling right and, yeah, and she, um, she does it so so well woman gaining confidence in her work is uh, i would say the uh, commonality between those movies but yeah uh, yeah no true right yeah yeah uh very great young kiss uh mia hands in love uh, uh I, i'm gonna go watch the rest of her movies uh i've heard people say this was her best movie but um the only one I've ever seen is one with uh, Isabel Huppert, which is called Things to Come. Uh, mm. But uh, th- she's been making movies since, like, I think her first feature was 2007. Uh, so, and she's consistently nominated against, like, uh, not just Cannes, but uh, Cesar Awards and uh, Berlin Film Festivals. So she's, like, a, a important film director in the world. 
and hopefully this is, I don't know if studios are going to come calling to, and this is how I'm transitioning to our next film, maybe a little bit, uh, because studio is very different from uh, the independent film where there's more art in here too. I don't think um, an Ingmar Bergman influenced a film is ever going to be coming to a studio too much anytime soon. Uh, Wait, can I just interrupt for one second, Caleb? Go ahead. To say something um, before we move on, and I agree that we should move on soon. So I'm just looking at, because Vicky Krebs seems like the kind of person who, I was wondering if she had been any, in any bad movies in the 2010s, because it seems like maybe <laughs> she would have been in like a really bad movie then. Hey, um, you know, happens. building her career, like no, no disrespect at all. Like totally, that makes people sense. People have I'm to sure get paychecks, people, yeah. And I'm sure she would have gotten a lot of money for it. Great, of course. But um, I think the answer is no. She, as far as I know, she didn't. But she's starting to be in movies sort of like that now. Um, like she's going to be in some kind of Three Musketeers adaptation. Um, but a movie that she has that is in supposedly in post production right now is it's called Sexual Healing, and it's the story of the later days of uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, directed by Julian Temple. And it like stars Jesse L. Martin from Law and Order as Marvin Gaye. Don't know. And that, Anessa Pathamurkison is in it too. Oh wow. Julian yeah. Temple is a uh Juno Temple's dad, and he's right. a music video director. He did um, uh some sex pistol stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's he doesn't have a lot of notable feature. Yeah, credits. I don't can think of anything else. It's like uh, Earth Girls like Are Easy is I, one of them. Really, he did Earth Girls Are Easy. Damn. He's the director of Earth Girls Are Easy. Yes. Wow. So, cool. Yeah, but uh, I'm very interested to see what that is going to be like. I've, it sounds like the kind of movie you would only be able to see on an airplane flying <laughs> to a specific country. You know. Yeah, um, I would never think Vicky Cripps would be in uh, uh, that movie. <laughs> She has like second billing on the on the page for Damn. it. Damn, she's the billing above the person playing Marvin Gaye. So like, anyway, 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 let's move on to the next movie. Yeah, what's this going is, on? Uh, 1973's Francois Truffaut directed and starring uh, Day for Night. It's hopeless. She'll never make it. It's not my fault. Cut. No, it's not my fault. Love a device. A man may be a girl. It's an inflatable dummy. It sits on the seat hey, beside you. Hey, what's going you, okay? on? And day can serve for night. Day for Night is Francois Truffaut's love letter to movies and the people who make them. Um, it's almost impossible to overstate the influence that Truffaut has had on filmmaking. If, if you don't know, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know a lot of this stuff. So, but if not, if, you know, please excuse me or allow me to remind you that he's with this. He's from these from the absolute quintessential French New Wave uh, generation. These people that were critics and then editors at Cahiers du Cinema made like a million enemies because they were always talking shit about what movies should be like, but then started making those movies and then became like extremely world influential directors which is like very rare that that kind of thing happens um like so for instance supposedly the legend goes his movie reviews were so brutal that in 1958 he was the only french critic who wasn't invited to con and then in 1959 he won best director for the 400 blows which is like it's like what an amazing fuck you um, and of course, that is his most famous movie, probably, I would say, is The 400 yeah. Blows. It's from 1959, semi-autobiographical. Um, you know, and also, one of the things about uh, Truffaut is that, along with Andre Bazan, he invented auteur theory. So, like, that's amazing, too, you know? 
He's a very, very influential person. But so, okay, fast forward to 1973. Uh, that's when this movie comes out. Uh, he directed and stars in this movie, Day for Night. Uh, the French title is Le Nuit Americaine, which is the same name for the same kind of film process where you film it in daytime and make it look like it's nighttime. Uh, and they actually discuss this in the dialogue of the film, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the movie is like pure entertainment. It's a farce. It's about the exhausting self-absorbed, completely insane, generous and lovable people who choose to spend their lives making movies. Um, I was talking to Caleb about this before the show, but I really, I was th- while I was watching it, the thing it made me think most of was like soap dish because it's very much operating on that level of like, these are the crazy personalities behind these things, you know, and you might never know. Supposedly in interviews, Truffaut would say that um, singing, singing in the rain was a big influence on this because it showed not just the directors and the actors, but like everybody, everybody involved in the film. And certainly like those are the people in this movie, the set photographer, the uh, hair and makeup person, you know, it's all, all of them are in the movie constantly. And it makes it seem like they are just all best friends who are constantly hanging out together. I mean, it does make movie making look like possible possibly the best way you could spend your life. And it was mm-hmm. very, yeah, and, and uh, by the way, they're all making a huge amount of money. So like, it mm-hmm. seems amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't seen the movie before, uh, though in doing some research, I, I did find a Pauline Kael review that said the movie has no center and very little spirit, which is like very mean, but um, I she's, kind she's of projecting. I kind of understand what she means by that. Cause the, the movie does have yeah. a lot of spirit, certainly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I like the movie a lot, but I certainly didn't think it was perfect. Um, how, how did you feel about yeah. this movie? Well, I would say if there is a center of a movie, it is that movies are awesome. Uh, I love movies, which is just a very like fun energy. <laughs> like, I love movies. It's, he's him cheerleading about cinema, yeah. movies are great. Uh, uh, and it, I mean, it blatantly states cinema is more important than life several times. Like it says that exact phrase, cinema is more important than life. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very self-aware and meta uh, without ever calling too much attention to it. And that's just good filmmaking. Uh, some may call it light entertainment, but I found making a light film about making a light film yeah. with as much detail and love and nuance and just generosity amongst cast and actors. And uh, I thought it was just absolutely an irresistible film. It's it's very, very good. I've, this is an episode where I've only seen not too much of the directors. I've only seen a handful of, uh, Truffaut films, 400 Blows, Jills and Jim, Wild Child, I thought was kind of bad, to be honest. Uh, but there's <laughs> so, so many more. I mean, he did have a phase in like, uh, right before, I would say, in well, the late 60s, 70s, where it was just like, he wasn't as successful. Supposedly, uh, one after of the he rap, made Fahrenheit one of the lines, 451, yeah. One of the lines on this movie is like, oh, finally, he, Truffaut is making a good movie again. <laughs> because I think there had been many years where his movies were not very good. I mean, even that version of Fahrenheit 451 is like not very good. I, I don't think it's yeah. that great. It's fine. Uh, it, it, it gets not well-regarded stuff. I, I, I know I know that through just reading film bullshit. Uh, Truffaut's former film critic himself, we mentioned, uh, but he's always championed how, what the film is capable of. So I think that love of film totally comes across here. And he shows it to all the members of the crew, which is why I think I uh, really like this movie. Uh, like, yeah, Chris mentioned uh, all the different people. There's a prop character, I think. My, but I do have favorite characters because it is like a cast of like 10 or so. I mean, obviously, uh, one of the great uh, French New Wave actors is in this movie, Jean-Pierre Lourdes. Uh He plays Alphonse, who's uh, the the whiny star who uh, has a girl who like, kind of cheats on him during the film, but he's also, where's she at? Where's she at? And it gets his heart broken. And then uh, kind of like 
build story, like more of the uh, emotional lifting of the story when they need it. But he's like there for like that. Um, what a great actor he is. Uh, but I think my all time favorite character in this movie has to be LaJoy's wife. So there is a mm, guy named yes. LaJoy who's just like a grip or whatever. He's like a bigger dude. No, he's the location manager. What are you talking about? Location, location manager. Well, I wasn't paying attention because I was paying attention to his wife, who's just <laughs> not on payroll, who's just there. Uh, and she's just always knitting or There's doing something. There's a scene something. where Truffaut goes, who's this woman I keep seeing everywhere? And they go, oh, that's LaJoy's wife. Like, she torments him, but he's too much of a pussy to break up with her. And he goes, and then they're like, oh, do you want us to get rid of her? And he goes, no, no, no. I'm starting to get used to her. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. It's so yeah. great. Uh, Madame LaJoy. And then the part where um, it's towards the end of the film and uh, an actress has locked herself in the room. Things are going kind of shit. Uh, she just comes out and just screams, cinema is shit. <laughs> this is the cinema was, you all love. Yeah. You are all cozy, having sex <laughs> with each other. I think it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's it's great. Um, and my uh, other favorite character, I think the stealth MVP of the crew, uh, maybe not even stealth, uh, Joel, the uh, his assistant, the producer, uh, always doing everything. He's on, always on top of her shit. Knows like what to exactly to say. Knows where things need to get done. Uh, everyone depends on her. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, Natalie Bay, uh, who has been in uh, several things. Uh, another famous French actress. Uh, as a person who hasn't seen a lot of Truffaut films, uh, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Uh, that alt, it felt Altman-y t- to me, and that it was like more <laughs> ensemble piece of uh, just a and bunch it, of things coming together. And the movie does do a lot of like. It's not overlapping dialogue, but it's way kind of scenes, characters and dialogue scenes kind of blend into each other. Like we're watching mm-hmm. Truffaut walk through the set and somebody runs up to him and they have a whole conversation and then they run away. And then two steps later, another person comes up and they do the same thing. And then maybe we follow one of those people away and then they do something, you know, like that. The movie, lots of that stuff is happening in this movie. The character Truffaut plays too. He, he plays the director and uh, good acting and it's good uh, awareness uh the film is called meet pamela and it's uh, by all accounts a, a bad sounding film it re- doesn't rely i mean it relies more on like a, a day for night effect and stunt work and it has i think it is even part where they even call it a more of an american style film there's studio like film. shootings and like there's yeah. a bunch of so it's not like snow there's a cool sequence where we see yeah like firemen shooting soap bubbles everywhere to make fake snow you <laughs> yeah. know so they're, so they're not making like uh, uh, a French New Wave art film themselves. The movie itself is obviously, but they're not making. They're making like a a fucking mainstream movie, and there's still oh, yeah. a lot of love for it too, which is great. Like, I, 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 those are movies. I love movies. Movies are great. It's so it's so interesting because it's like it's about people making like a melodrama, an action movie, kind of almost, but like a very serious. They keep talking about how it's a tragedy, you know. And um, but at the same time, the life that they're living while they're making the movie is like, you know, bears no relation to what's going on in in the film, you know, but at certain times it does, you know, at certain times they're bringing their their whole selves to to the screen, you know, but at other times it's just like ridiculous garbage, you know, it's ridiculous garbage is also uh, a lot of truths in filmmaking, too. Uh, Yeah, like you said, he he has bringing a lot of self to it. Uh, There's a part he keeps having these dreams of him as a child and he, the dreams end up being him just stealing a bunch of pictures of 
famous directors and famous movie shots. And there's also a, a scene where he's like, oh, my books arrived. Where this is a, not a dream. He just says, oh, my books arrived. And he has a big package of books. It's all these filmmaker books, like a uh, Robert Bresson book. There's a Godard just book feel like in it's there. Like, it's like, it's just Truffaut being like, here are some of my yeah. friends and the cool books I like, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, uh, Rossellini, uh, there's a Louis Vuitton book. It's oh, I fucking... bet he had like, oh my God, like deciding exactly which books to include, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, having uh, drinks the fil- with people and the, I bet for 10 years afterwards they're like this motherfucker didn't put my book in the movie he's got 10 <laughs> different movie books in there he can't put my book in there <laughs> I mean the film opens with a shot of uh, Lillian and Dorothy Gish and they dedicate the film to it and uh, Lillian Gish uh, silent both both these are silent film stars Lillian Gish was in the movie we talked about last episode yeah, Night of the Night Hunter, Hunter. Yeah. yeah, um, she's really good in that movie and I, I, yeah, was, yeah. I forget if I said this on the show but I was looking up pictures of her as like a young woman to show Catherine. Cause I was like, Oh, she was like the, the first babe. Like she's like the sure. original babe. And then we were like, we were like, Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Lillian Gish. <laughs> uh, but speaking of that, he did put a Godard book in that book stuff. Uh, all those books, excuse me, all these books he showed. Uh, this was the film that caused uh, the rift between Truffaut and Godard. Uh, if, you have Criterion Channel. There is actually a 20-minute interview with someone about breaking down how they fought. It's kind of boring, but I watched it and whatever. Well, tell um, us in a but, non-boring way. What, what uh, happened? So Godard hated the film. He called it a lie. He's like, that's not how we do it. That's not what films are like. He is making this up. Uh, and then it was just a bunch of angry correspondences to each other. And they were probably on rocky terms to begin. Right. With. They were, I mean, they're both like the two pillars of French New Wave films. Uh, and Godard maybe is a little bit more uh, dialogue And he maybe made more good movies than Truffaut. Like, Truffaut made I movies would... that were really, really good, but Godard made more good movies, like 100%. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it was just a, a series of angry letters to each other. They never really repaired their relationship. But yeah, it's a, a, a fun... Uh, they, they always cited this as... the, uh, And this is the 70s, which makes sense timeline-wise of the end of the French New Wave. Yeah, so, you know, you got by, all these, like, uh, you got all these easy riders and raging bulls everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's when American studios uh, in the 70s started being more introspective, as Chris just mentioned, Scorsese and Hopper and uh, all the weird stuff we were doing with horror films and stands, oh, well, Kubrick's, and, and whatnot. And speaking of Americans, just quickly, can I say, um, I was interested to see, there's the credit sequences, like, if you're a modern person, I, I maybe because I just rewatched it, the, the, they end it with so, showing a little sort of, uh, almost, almost like a little vignette of each character, but it's in a little cutout circle on the screen. A little more circle, yeah. Yeah, almost like they're in a locket or something. But it made me think of like Knives Out, which I know it Knives Out is referencing 70s movies. Oh, it made me think of uh, Love Boat. <laughs> Love Boat, it's like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's very 70s-y. But uh, I had not realized that the person playing, their, you know, so the, the titular person of the movie within the movie is this American actress and she's uh, it's supposed to be this huge deal that she's coming on the movie and like, you know, that everybody's talking about having this American there and the, she had a nervous breakdown and then she married her old, much older doctor. And it's, you know, there's all this scandal around her. But it was Jacqueline Bissett, which is somebody mm-hmm. whose name I have heard my entire life. I don't think I had ever watched anything Jacqueline Bissett was in. So I was oh, like, oh, uh, you have <laughs> me. Maybe we I did. Have. A, you did. Uh, we did. Uh, we did. I just know where you're on the Orient Express. No, we did uh, the other film we did we do orient express 
Yeah, no, yeah, uh, yeah. We did, we we did Orient Express. Yeah, yeah, she's in that. Yeah, well, it's a big oh, ensemble okay. piece, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay, and she's wearing some kind of crazy ass hat and that, or something. But, but she's like in that. T- she's in tons of stuff though. But she, yeah, up what like um, a a huge log line of 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 movies. But yeah, is a name. She was kind of famous for being a beautiful woman too. But she's a very she's talented. For beautiful. Yeah, actress, I mean, yeah. and and she is extremely beautiful in this film. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing how beautiful she is. Uh, and she's a very obviously doing an amazing job acting in the film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was like, oh, okay, that's Jacqueline Bisset. Like, okay. And it's <laughs> it's also sort of a meta joke because, of course, that's how people thought of Jacqueline Bisset at the time. Like, she's playing, sure. you know, it would be like if Britney Spears was playing, like, a loopy older pop star. You know, it's like, okay, this is what she is. You know, like, that, that's yeah. what we're seeing in the movie. A very, very self-aware performance. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, and I'm just realizing now that... Uh, at the t- like, there's a one character. I think it, it is Alphonse who's just like, oh, I'm just gonna go see a movie the whole time. Keep seeing the movie, and they, there's a part where they look up what's playing in the city. It just says forty theaters and thirty of them are playing The Godfather, and I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. I like that. Oh man, welcome to fucking 2021, dude. I got bad news for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, thirty theaters are playing now. The Godfather. That would be great. <laughs> Good lord, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, I guess she's in Bullet really nice. and she's in Casino Royale, actually. Okay, yeah. Do you want to you want to talk about the end of this movie, the end of this episode, Caleb? Sure, sure. I will just say that Day for Night gave us uh, some unsayable truths. You know, let people fuck each other on sets. Uh, movies are very important, more important than life. But the biggest one: cats are bad actors. There's a whole scene. <laughs> oh my god! Of just what a, a cat great, being a bad, what a great sequence. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just want to get that out there. They're trying to get a cat to drink milk out of a saucer. And it's like, <laughs> this fucking cat won't drink milk out of the saucer. It's like running in the wrong direction. They are th- At one point, you see them throw it in from off screen. It's and a it one still shot won't drink two. the fucking milk out of the saucer, you know? It's, and it's like yeah, the guy who throw it. The guy who is in charge of the cat, it's kind of like he's in trouble because like the fucking cat won't do what it's supposed to do and everybody's getting mad at him. And this the script girl who is like also like just, the most level-headed it's Joelle, person, yeah, it's Joelle, yeah. The most level-headed, capable person on the entire production uh goes and just grabs a cat from somewhere that of course does it because she is yeah. the she is the person keeping the entire movie together, you know? Yeah, she's awesome. Um yeah. And she she does work it out, but yeah, it's very funny. And it's a one take too, so they have to keep resetting the take over. And it's over. a long one take. <laughs> they have to keep resetting for the cat. Uh, it's so funny. Hey, to the point where you're like, well just get rid of the cat, you know? And it is so interesting about filmmaking the movie because it's like um they are spending forever. We're seeing them like making props and getting costumes and then filming this amazing like costume mm-hmm. party scene. And then there's this terrible accident and they have to change how the movie <laughs> They never going. have to do it. Yeah. And they go like, oh, but if we do that, this, this, this scene doesn't make sense if we change the movie like that. And he goes like, oh, just cut it out, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, that's how movies work. That is how movies work. That's so crazy. So yeah. crazy. It's a very like, fun film. I, we, I, we didn't mention that. Uh, it did win the Academy Award for uh, Best Foreign yeah. uh, Language Feature, and it was uh, at premiered at Cannes. So yeah, uh, accolades are there. It's uh, regarded as one of Truffaut's uh, best, best it movies. It is regarded up, as up basically a- along with The 400 Blows as like his yeah. other good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you certainly, uh, be- that- I mean, there's people reference it. Like, isn't it? Like, I have I've heard this song referenced in, you know, like rap, I feel like, you know. Sure. I, uh, I mean, it's one of the best movies about uh, actual a movie being made, I would say, just because it's so light and so it goes down so easy and just bursting with love. <laughs> it is just bursting with love. Um, so yeah, let's say Caleb, you had to pick one of these two movies or you would 
die in a car accident on the way back from the airport. <laughs> like, which of these? Good, which good, of these good, would you uh, I would pick a movie, and I will pick. I do know what I'm going to pick, and that is surprising even to me. I'm picking Bergman Island. I will say Day for Night. I loved. I will say Day for Night. I think is closer to how I feel. Like I'm a person who's like, yeah, movies are fucking great. Love movies. I, I, I go watch movies. I t- everyone just go watch movies. They're great and love them and celebrate them. Uh, I do it all the time. And I felt very much a kinship to that, but I don't know, Bergman Island. It just felt so personal. I loved it. Like I, I felt like I was discovering things about the characters and the director as I was watching uh, and just getting information about life is uh, and feelings is so hard to do. And, you know, it's very image heavy mo- movie and a lot of movies are very image heavy. And, uh, and I was watching it. It just hit me in my head that like, oh, using images is a good way to have things left unsaid. Like watching it. Here's an image. We don't have to say it. It just gives the sense that there are questions with no answers, which is very much true to life. And I felt that from the core of this movie of Bergman Island. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm going to go rewatch all of her movies over, like I said, I didn't watch both of these, a lot of these directors, and I, and I somehow upset picked Mia Hansen-Love to be a director I'm, that I'm picking over Francois Truffaut, which is a no, huge it upset. It's totally crazy. It seems totally yeah. crazy, but I do completely agree with you, Caleb. I mean, <laughs> you know, obviously Day for Night is an important movie in film history, and mm-hmm. it's very interesting to watch. One thing I thought was so funny is there the scene at the end I was talking about where they're spraying the soap, the soap for the snow. Mm-hmm. You're watching it, and I was like, this looks so fucking fake. Like, did they really used to do this? Like the way the soap was like sticking to people's pants and their shoes. I was like, this looks gross and it looks so fake. Like I can't believe that this is how they used to do it in movies. I, I Then after this movie was over, I put on Awakenings, which is from 1990. The whole first 10 minutes are fake snow. That is obviously soap and it's sticking to the people's shoes in exactly the same way it was sticking to the shoes in this movie. And I was like, oh, okay, shit. I guess I guess they were right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I picked Bergman Island. Like it's, if you're a, like I say, like I like to say now, like if you're a modern person, if you're a person living in 2021, I think, yes, you would enjoy watching Bergman Island a lot more. And it is, like you said, it's a deeply personal movie and it, the way that it's observational, like you just feel like you're watching real people and that you're learning things about yourself and that you're, um, you know, deeply connected to another human being, like by, by watching this movie. And it's, it's so, so well done. And it, it does make you think about your own, it makes you think about your life and your desires. And, you know, your it was, it, it's just a very, very well done movie. I mean, I did think it was funny that they keep referencing marriage story and saying like, Oh, that, that's the movie that made like a, a thousand people or a million people divorce. And like, that's also kind of what this movie is about. <laughs> it's also about like, you should just get divorced and like, uh, actually just get divorced. Like you, you, you shouldn't be with this person. Um, so I thought that was like funny on a meta level, but yeah, no, what a great, what a great film. Absolutely packed with extremely skilled and very restrained performances, but not so restrained that it's boring, which is like happens in English cinema a lot. Um, I thought, I just thought it was a really, really great movie. Yeah. It's a outstanding movie. I'm kind of pissed. I didn't see it earlier in 2021. It was only in like New York theaters for, I don't know. It probably was. I, 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 of course I had opportunities to see it saw other shit bad choices overall 2021 kind of a looking back better movie movier than uh we give it credit for i don't know things are starting to come out more now because the world shut down for a year and things are just starting to leak out now so yeah Yeah. maybe we're in, in a new 
film renaissance where things like Bergman Island get to exist, a very meta movie about about a director and also not about a director and also about two other directors too at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, dude. It's crazy. Well, 2021, I think, was a really good year for movies because a lot of things didn't come out in 2020 and they mm-hmm. a lot of stuff ended up coming out last year. It was like two years of movies, yeah. It was like two years of movies in one year and a lot of them were really, really good. Of course, mm-hmm. some of the really good ones from 2020 still haven't come out. Like, uh, can't wait for that Top Gun sequel. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. The Bob's Burgers movies coming out soon, too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But don't... Yeah. I can't believe that they keep... Hasn't it been delayed? Like, it wasn't it maybe supposed to come out in 2019? Hasn't it been delayed for like three years at this point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so Everything crazy, has. dude. That's yeah. so crazy. Um, anyway, what a great show, Caleb. Oh, God. Anyway, what Bam! a great show, Caleb. <laughs> great to talk to you as always, brother. Yes. Always great to hear from everything about everything and everything's doing. Yes. I completely <laughs> agree with you, man. I definitely agree with you. Um, good night. Good night, everybody. Bye. You know, I started on cleanup just like you guys. But now, see, I'm washing lettuce. Soon I'll be on fries, then the grill. A year or two, I make assistant manager. And that's where the big bucks start rolling in.